It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com This is Football Social Daily, Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily and it's a big Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024 to Marley Anderson and Joel Tudor. Happy New Year, boys. Morning. Happy New Year. Happy New... whatever. Yeah, resolution. All the rest of it. <laughs> Pinch punch first of the month. You're not still doing that, are you? At 31 or two, however old you are. Second of the month anyway, so, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> Div. I'll say you can't get your dates right, but this, this is the first, first day of... The Christmas period, but I've actually knew the date. Have you got any New Year's resolutions, Joel? Not stress yourself defending Onana. No, that, that, that should be na- that should be one of Marley's that to try and bite his tongue whenever Onana makes a mistake. That's <laughs> one gonna, that I give gonna you. I'm going to be uh, double down on the Onana hate. <laughs> the agenda's going to get bigger in this new year. I'm going to miss him for this next month. You know, I don't know what I'm going to mourn about. I'll find By the someone. way, we're not we're not doing a special Cameroon segment just for you every week, so you can get that right out of the bin straight away. Well, we'll be talking about the Africa Cup. <laughs> nations a little bit later down the line but welcome to 2024 everyone thank you for your support across 2023 obviously we've been away for a few days enjoying the break over the new year period but we're back now and we're back to discuss the Premier League football that took place over the last few days the bridge between 2023 and 2024 naturally means lots of football and naturally means an opportunity for the first get in the sea of 2024 and you've got more than one game week to pick from. We've got a few different choices here, lads. So if there's anything that you need to get off your chests early in the new year and bury some demons, now's the time. We'll come to you first, Marley. And talking of burying demons, there's been quite a lot of 
Newcastle games that have probably been worth burying to the back of your memory because it's not been good for Eddie Howe's side lately. I dare say that you're getting the C, and I don't know, I'm not privy to this, I'm going to guess, is something Newcastle related? Uh, no, it's, it's not. not. It's wow. not, no, because... Okay. I don't know why, I mean, it could be, because we just, we're just awful at the minute, we're absolutely terrible. Um, but no, it's um, it's something that came from, it was triggered by the game last night, Newcastle and Liverpool, so kind of, um, but it was something, obviously, one of the Liverpool lot did, um, that wound me up, and it always winds me up, because lots of people do it, um, and it always winds me up when, when, it, uh, when somebody does it. And that is turning your back when a penalty is being taken by your team. It just properly gets me. Like it properly annoys me. Like why? Why are you trying to make it about yourself? Like Klopp did it, and he turned his back to the cop. I don't know if he did it for the one they missed, by the way. But then he turns around. Um, if like if you miss a penalty, then you turn around. You're like this look of confusion on your face. Like the the arrogance you've got, I don't need to watch this. I'll just tell by the crowd's reaction. F*** off. 2024, off to a flyer. Why are you acting like a ball bag on the, on the sidelines? And William Gallas used to do it as well back in the days, remember? For Arsenal and Spurs and whoever else he played for. He used to do it. And brand, loads and loads of people do it, but it pro- it annoys me every time. Is it not a superstition thing? I don't care because superstitions aren't real. They, like <laughs> People have missed penalties when that's happened and people have scored penalties that happened. Therefore, it's all b- like it just doesn't make sense does it it doesn't guarantee that your mate is going to score a, score a penalty i tell you what the swear bleep's getting a good run out first podcast of the new year is that three already <laughs> it's three already we're on the hat trick already we've been recording we've played five minutes, minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah i can kind of see where you're coming from and that is exactly what getting the sea is all about the smallest most petty little grumbles you can think of. If they need to go in the sea, they need to go in the sea. Of course they do. Is there anything else whilst you're here? We may as well give you a chance to chuck two in, unless you're stealing one of Joel's and then we've got an issue. Um, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't, to be honest. Um, I might think of one in a bit because there's been so much football that something's bound to trigger in my head that uh, that I've seen in the past 10, 12 days, whatever it's been. Um, so, yeah. Go on, I'll let Joel Joel have the floor for this one. To be honest, this bit I've just been looking through the results because everything just feels like it feels like a quarter of the season's just gone by in the last week. So I'm trying to pedal my mind, but I'm just gonna go through my recency bias of last night's game and actually annoyed me. I don't even support any of these two teams. When Diogo Jota went down like a sniper, hit his calf. What on earth? First of all, I was looking at the re- First of all, I was looking at I'm the. Glad rea- you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted to go this segment. I can more. keep my, com- <laughs> I can keep it tame. Um, you forget but- that I have to edit the show. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I, I purposely try not to because I know it's such a pain to edit. Um, but the fact that one he went down like that when he could have put it into an empty net was confusing for me, and two the fact that people were defending it because it was so evident that. Okay, because I, I okay. Let me get back to the original point, which is that in the penalty box, I've always been really adamant on this: that a contact on you does not equal a foul. So you see, when players are inside the box and defenders are absolutely petrified to not touch someone, just in case he goes down really easily. For me, I think that rule needs to change because it's a contact sport. You're allowed to touch someone in the box. If I give you a little kick on the calf by accident. 
is not enough for you to go down. And that's why with the Jota one, the contact from the keeper, sure, there was contact, but he showed straight away that it wasn't enough for him to go. And that's why for me, it just annoyed me the fact that they've just purposely looked at that one piece of contact and not looked at the rest of it, which was that he carried on running. And he, takes, still two, he takes it. two steps, doesn't right. he? And, and the then, foot that and he then got literally on, throws his arms up and then goes, boo, yeah, I'll so try and get him sent off. It's almost like he's bought the penalty for himself. As if you say, right, ref, I'm ready to have the penalty now. You know, he, he the, the foot that he got clipped on, he carried on running on it. If you get clipped in a tackle, that foot's gone and you lose your foot and that's what a foul is. But I'm sorry, it's just, I hate the way penalties, and I think me and Marley have tag teamed on this like Kane and The Undertaker when it comes to penalties in the box. <laughs> I'm so annoyed at the way in which they're given. It's a joke. It shouldn't be like, remember the Sissoko one? I know it's a handball one, but just... More like Kane the, in the hurricane, I think. <laughs> the, pr- <laughs> the preciousness of fouls in the box, which then changes a game or has the potential to change a game, is just ridiculous. Honestly, there's too much riding on these sorts of decisions. And I hate the fact that uh, players can and they know that they can con the referee. It's really easy to do. Without sounding like a caricature and... Football was better in my day, you know, without sounding like an old crank. The game has changed so much in terms of the level of contact that is permitted. And when you see a good tackle now, people don't stand up and cheer. They go, oh, almost as if, oh no, that could be a red card or a yellow card. Even if it's a strong, stern, but fair challenge. That used to get crowds off of their seats. That used to get people up and about. I mean, just think of the likes of Vieira and Roy Keane to combative midfielders from the era in which I was watching the Premier League as a youngster. They used to do that sort of thing quite often. It would be lauded and applauded. Now, someone goes in for hard challenges and they're considered a dirty player and just the level of contact in the game, which we expected, and particularly since VAR has been introduced, it has changed so much. You're right, Joel. Nowadays, you can go down in the box and if there's contact, it can be considered a foul or an infringement. But... I also agree with what you say. Not all forms of contact should be a penalty. You can touch someone without it being a foul. Is that not just one of the nuances of a contact sport? Yeah, because have you seen now with the rules, obviously players are privy to it. They know exactly what to do to get a penalty. And we saw it. I always remember Jamie Vardy was very good at it where if a player came in for a tackle on the box, he would then move his foot to the player's foot to make it show like he's been tackled, if that makes sense. So he's almost like bought it by moving his foot to the player. And referees were giving penalties for it, like no tomorrow. And that's why I hate, I always remember a Wolves one, I don't know if it was against Bournemouth this season, where the player was just on the corner of the box. And I think, I'm pretty sure it was a Bournemouth player, he literally grazed his shin pad, nowhere near enough to actually bring him down. And the player literally just raises his feet off the floor, goes down onto his knees, and then basically just waits for the referee to give the foul because in their eyes, he's touched him. So it's a foul. Not all contact is a foul. If it was a non-contact sport, then yeah, it's a foul then because you're not allowed to do it. But come on, you see players in the normal rhythm of the game, for example, in the middle of the pitch. If I give one of you a tug, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a foul because it's a contact sport. That's why I just get so annoyed that when it's in the penalty box, it's like a new game. 
where as soon as you enter the danger zone, the referee automatically changes to become 10 out of 10 in terms of contact and heightened uh, decision-making. It's strange to me. Do you not think the game was always going to change just because it's become more and more intense and we've spoken about how football has almost become the monster unto itself where results and money become more important than the actual pure sporting element of it? And I guess... I am drifting into that angry man shouts at cloud persona now, Marley, because I'm thinking about the lack of grass pitches and stuff like that now for youngsters coming through. And I know this is a rabbit hole, but I think it's interesting. Kids now, they all play on 4G, don't they? Artificial surfaces, 3G or whatever it is with the rubber crumb. You can't really slide tackle on those pitches. Youngsters now are told not to head the ball until a certain age. Obviously, that's for medical reasons, which we won't go into now. But those are just two things I'm thinking of that maybe we'll see creep into the game or evolve in the game in the next 10 to 15 years where these young lads that are learning to play football now and ladies, of course, are not slide tackling because of the pitches they're training on, not heading the ball because of the way they're coached now. Just think that it will take time, but maybe we'll see less slide tackles or a, a totally different blueprint of the game again in the next 10 years because of that. Yeah, you're probably right. You see it now where... Even when you win the ball, you can still get sent off for for winning the ball with a slide tackle. You seen it um, in the game last night. Lewis Miley had a, put one of the best sliding tackles I've ever seen on Mo Salah, perfectly timed. Um, and the referee went, "Oh, that's a yellow card." It's like, why? I don't, I don't get it. It didn't help that it was at Anfield and it was against one of the best players in the Premier League, and it was a young kid going in, and it was kind of like as he booked him just because it's Salah and. It's that kind of question that gets uh, gets asked. but Or has he booked him because he's 17 and feels like he can get away with it without as much lip back from someone that young? Whereas if he had booked someone in their 30s who's maybe a bit more game to have a go back. A bit introverted, yeah, and a bit, oh, what's what's going on here? But it was ridiculous because it, it was just a perfect slide. He kept his studs down, he got the ball. I think Salah jumped out of it a bit, which is entirely his his fault you know if you know if you're not gonna if you're gonna jump out of a tackle it doesn't necessarily mean you're about to get your your leg broken type of thing it was just one of them where he realized he'd lost it so he jumped out of it but yeah it was um it was silly but the game the game is changing you can probably watch this back in you know watch the game in 15 20 years time and no one will slide tackle because everything will get because technically when you slide tackle you're out of control of your body because you're you're um you succumb to the surface you know you're, you're you're out of control aren't you well you succumb yeah. to forces don't you you can't control forces you have to estimate how far you're going to slide exactly yeah i mean look at saul campbell in that thing when he you <laughs> he's know, still he going sl- some say. he slid five yards and he ended up <laughs> out the stadium you know what i mean it's, it's, it's just one of them it's just you, you slide and you slide. but you are in control for the first <laughs> bit but they will argue that you're not um and That's unlocked can... a memory I forgot I had. That Sulk <laughs> slide challenge. So There's good. Some, Someone's some made an edit on YouTube. Have you seen it? Yeah, I've seen loads of them, yeah. Oh, it's brilliant, yeah. He just slides. <laughs> he basically slides halfway around the world and ends up back in Wembley. Yeah. I think it's really interesting, actually, because I read a book some years ago now about when football was first invented and how it started. And in the 1800s, and this is where the term hacking comes from, in the 1800s, if you kick someone in the shin... That was pretty much the only way to get a free kick was to leather someone in the shins, which is why they brought shin pads in. 
it's quite funny reading the origins of the sport we all love and how much it's changed but that's what sport does it evolves and I guess we do have to move with the times albeit it is frustrating when you see the tiniest little bit of contact given as a foul or indeed a penalty as Joel was talking about if you've got any things that you'd like to throw in the sea or any New Year's resolutions for 2024 when it comes to Premier League football, let us know. You can join us in the Telegram group. The chat link is in the description of the podcast, as are all of the links to our social media pages. But next, we're going to talk about the top end of the Premier League table as top spot is currently occupied by Liverpool after Arsenal's blip over the New Year break. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This is Football Social Daily, the first podcast of 2024. Why not hit subscribe or follow and that way you'll never miss an episode. Again, new shows right throughout the course of the season for you. And when a new episode is released, you'll not miss one. Right, let's talk about the title race now, the top end of the Premier League and Liverpool by beating Newcastle United last night. And with Arsenal's slip-ups in their last couple of games they now have a gap at the top of the table they have an extended lead we've spoken about this Premier League title race a few times already this season Marley it feels different I don't know whether that's because Manchester City are a little bit further back by no means out of it but it certainly does feel a little bit more competitive than the last few years yeah and it's uh it's making for good um good watching as a as a neutral almost um Teams dropping points. Man City not yet entered the race, sort of, you know, as we as we used to. We, we used to see them come on strong in, in January onwards. And, um, yeah, I think um, having three teams, four if you're still including Aston Villa, which you, you have to, I think, um, you know, you've, you've got to... You've got to say it's a four-horse race at the minute, and that's, that's good. That's good for the neutral. I'm kind of... I'm glad it's it's a bit more like this now because I'm I am kind of sick of seeing uh, Man City versus one other team who are in the race and then that other team ultimately just proves not to be strong enough uh, when City win 11, 12, 13 in a row and just walk away with the league. Um, 
but yeah, it's 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 a it's a good race. It's an old school race. I think we're probably going to see eighty five points win the league, maybe. Um, and fair play. You know, when you go into an old casino or a bookmaker's and you used to have those horse racing machines where you press the button, you choose which horse, which colour you'd want to win. And then they'd go, one would go ahead and then it would stop and then the blue one would come in behind and then the green one would come on the outside, get to the line, then stop. And then all of a sudden the pink one was just solid all the way through the middle and it would go over and win. This is what this Premier League title race feels like to me, Joel, because at the start of the season, Spurs were top. They were going to win the Premier League. And then Manchester City came back through. They were going to win the Premier League. Arsenal have been there. They've been top. Aston Villa have then come through, beaten Arsenal, beaten Manchester City. They're now second. But Liverpool remain top of the table at this moment in time. We've spoken about three or four different teams, maybe even five, if you include Aston Villa, in the title race this season. Yeah, what's interesting to me is that all of the top four or top five, if you want to consider Tottenham as well, they've all had moments of weakness where they've We've looked at them during a couple of weeks and thought there's no chance they're going to get the title now. You know, they go through a couple of consecutive defeats. I mean, we'll look at it, looking at it now with Arsenal. Two consecutive defeats, three uh, defeats in five. And suddenly it all almost looks like they're withering away until Liverpool end up inevitably having that kind of break, which I've not seen from them yet. City had it a few weeks ago where they couldn't stop drawing and, and losing games. Tottenham went through it a few weeks ago when Madison and Van der Ven were injured. They're all just, it's the perfect analogy, like you just said, they're all just giving and taking from each other. It's almost like in a boxing fight where you're seeing someone absolutely nail them in the corner and then he pulls out with a left jab from nowhere. The other one's stunned and then suddenly that one's the favourite. And that's what I like because uh, you both alluded to it. It gets really anti-competition when you're seeing almost like a Bundesliga in terms of Bayern running away with it every single year. They've won it for 11 consecutive years in Germany. Imagine how their fans feel when it gets to the halfway stage and Bayern go... You never get sick of winning, Joel, I'll say that. You never get sick of winning, but I know what you mean. You mean general Bundesliga fans, I mean for the other 17 teams in the Bundesliga, not for them. Bayern fans must love it. But that's the same for the Premier League at the moment. I mean, City have won four out of the last five Premier Leagues. Considering the money that everyone has, it is very disjointed. And that's why it is refreshing to see. I think inevitably one of them will end up dropping out as they usually do. But this could come down to, I mean, we're at just over the halfway point now. And even if you double most of their points tallies, it won't get them over 85, 84 points, which shows that it's not going to take a lot to win the league this year. It's just going to take those games that they play against each other in are probably even more vital now than they are before. Because when it was just City and Liverpool, well, they did make a difference, but they had to be ultra consistent in every other game. Because if one team slipped up in one game, that's probably the title gone. Now you're allowed to have a little bit of a break in a sense. They're almost kind of giving each other a little bit of room to just make mistakes and the other one will take over. So it is going to be, I think, one of those seasons where it's going to go down to the final couple of weeks before we actually even can consider who's going to win it. I predicted Manchester City to win the title for a fourth time in a row. It's never been done before in the Premier League era, Marley. However, I'm inclined to agree with Joel. The fact that they've not been as good and they've dropped points and they're five points behind does make it more exciting. But that's not to suggest that they won't go and win 10, 11 games in a row or something like that because we've seen them do it loads of times. But it does make it more excited for the, exciting for the neutral Premier League fan like myself to see a little bit more competition. It also would have been exciting for the Arsenal fans to see Manchester City drop points, to see themselves back at the top of the Premier League table again, but they've 
let that ground slip. And now Manchester City and Arsenal are level on points with 40 and Manchester City have played a game fewer than Arsenal with three defeats in the last five games for Mikel Arteta's side. Will they be looking back at this New Year period at the end of the season and thinking that's where it cost us? Yeah, they could do. Um, I think there's there's a lot of talk about Arsenal's front line and is Jesus enough to go and win a title and should they go and sign Ivan Toney or whoever it may be? And the answer to both of those questions is yes, because Gabriel Jesus has always been a good player, but he's never been a killer in front of goal. Yeah, like 14, 15 a season and that's kind of it. It's, yeah, he's, he's a good player, but yeah, like you say, you need to be a bit more clinical, I think, with Arsenal. Um, and when you're spending £60 million on Havertz and he looks like a competition winner every week, it's uh, it's not a not a great bit of business, but that's Arsenal for you. You know they're they're still building a squad, and Arteta has made some wins, some losses. I would say in the in the transfer window, um, but yeah, this this period has been a little bit iffy for them. Um, a little bit they got a bit found out over the the sort of hustle and bustle of the the Christmas period. Everyone likes to say, you know, that's where. You know, that's where it gets real, and that's where you've you sort of made, uh, made or made or break, broken type of thing. Um, and it's proved that for Arsenal. I don't think they're not out of it by any means, but they could have been six, seven points clear at this stage. Um, but losing to Fulham, um, you know, on New Year's Day or New whatever day it was, New Year's Eve. I, I don't even know anymore. Um, but it's one of them where they should never have lost that game, but. The way they are right now is they're not winning games playing poorly. Um, and I think other teams are, are better at that than Arsenal. Are Arsenal a better side this season, Joel, than they were last season? I thought it a couple of weeks ago because last season they were, I felt like the forward line was a little bit more free-flowing. It feels too rigid this season and I'm not sure why that is the case. But when you look at their games this season, I mean, yesterday, uh, the game yesterday against Fulham, honestly, they played so poorly. And I'm seeing so many Arsenal fans now almost claim that it was um, because Thomas Partey's injured and because Tommy Arsu's injured. Cry me a damn river. Every single team in the Premier League this season is having an injury crisis in some capacity. It doesn't matter what team you look at, especially the top teams with the squads that they have as well. And the fact that Arsenal are still not managing to just persevere with it, that's what takes a title-winning team. Even when your chips are low, trying to get victories. And I don't think it's you know the be-all and end-all. They're only five points off the top. I mean, considering the way the league's gone at the moment, that can be gained within about two game weeks, which is pretty simple, I would say, for a squad like theirs. But it is funny how within the space of two weeks, the narrative has absolutely turned on its head, where Arsenal were just sitting kind of pretty on the top Two weeks, two defeats, and suddenly it's catastrophe again. But they really need to improve. And I think this January period is going to be massive for them in the transfer window because we saw last season they were just teetering on the top. They got Leandro Trossard in instead of Mudrick. I don't know whether that might have influenced it, judging on Mudrick's performances, probably not. But I genuinely think they have to go for a striker. I don't think it could be the likes of Victor Ossiman or Tony unless they pay stupid money and I think they're prepared to do it like they did last season they bid a massive amount for Mudrick so they're not scared to do it 
but let's see what their ambition is because genuinely I feel like they need more firepower in that start in that um, in that forward line to be honest well I'm glad you mentioned the January transfer window Joel because we are into January now and although we haven't seen any signings as of yet that I can think of in the Premier League I do wonder Marley who you think of the top five current Premier League clubs who should go into the window and strengthen Traditionally, I can't seem to remember off the top of my head Manchester City really making too many January signings. But when you look at the other clubs around, Aston Villa in such a good position, now two points clear of Arsenal in fourth, having played the same amount of games. Great chance for them to secure a Champions League spot with some strengthening in January. They'll probably have to fend off some interest with some of their players as well. Joel's already mentioned Arsenal, but then there's Spurs as well. Ange Postacoglu might get Madison and Van de Ven both back in the next few weeks, as well as maybe dipping into the market and making some more signings. So who do you think needs the most improvement in January and who do you think just simply has to try and capitalise upon where they are? I think if Arsenal can go and get a striker, um, then, then go and do it. They're five points off Liverpool at the moment. Are they going to turn that gap around? Is a striker going to solve that issue for them? Liverpool will drop five points, 100%. So Arsenal need to be there. So in that theory, then yeah, probably. Um, It depends who's available. I think Ivan Toney would be for sale at the right price. But have they got the money after going and spending all the money in the the summer on on Raya? And well, I know they've got to pay for Raya in the summer. Um, You know, Havertz... Rice, you know, that's 200 million quid there. So it depends what their bank balance and spreadsheets look like going forward. But if they can, I, I would go and go and spend if I was them now. Um, same if I was Tottenham, I'd go and sign a proper striker um, and have all them talented goal scorers behind them, like Madison Son, play Son off the left as he has been. Um, Madison in the number 10 role, Kulisevsky on the right. Then you got Brennan Johnson and Richarlison backing them up behind a centre forward. Then that looks a really, really strong team. Um, I don't think Richarlison's going to score enough goals up front for Spurs to to sort of challenge the top top sides. Probably enough to get him in Champions League, just about, but not quite um, anything more than that. Whereas if they went and signed like Tony and Ozzyman are the two the two names that are obviously linked. If they went and got one of them. I'd back Spurs to do whatever they wanted to, as long as they could keep people people fit, because um, they look like they look like they're nearly there. Spurs like they've made such a good start under Postecoglou, um, and that can only get better, I think, with with more options in in key places. So, if I was them too, I'd go and sign. I think I don't think Liverpool need anyone to be fair. Um, Salah Salah out for a month at the the Afcon is is as bad as their season's gonna get, but. You know, they've got Jota to come in, Nunes, Salah. Uh, sorry, Nunes, Jota, um, Harvey Elliott's there playing well, Gakpo's there as well. So they've, they've got options. Um, Man City are getting Haaland back and, and that kind of De Bruyne as well. So they don't need anything, I don't think, um, other than a left-back. But we all know Pep's not going to sign a left-back because he's allergic to signing left-backs. So it's just, that, that's about it. Villa will, Villa will just crack on as well, so... Um, yeah, Arsenal and, and Spurs I'd be be looking at to maybe try and strengthen if they can, but um, everyone else I, I wouldn't imagine too much business from. 
All right, well, the top end of the Premier League is looking really interesting and we'll watch that with a keen eye over the next few weeks. Although there's less Premier League games in January, it's the FA Cup next up next weekend, which I'm sure we'll touch upon later on during the week. But if that's the top end of the table, what about the bottom? We'll have a quick glance at that next on FSD. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Final part of today's show. This is Football Social Daily, an award-winning Premier League podcast. My name's Niall. Happy New Year. Marley and Joel are with me as ever. And let's take a look at the bottom of the Premier League table now. And to be honest with you, Joel, not a great deal has changed. Sheffield United remain rock bottom on nine points. Burnley, who have lost their last two after beating Fulham just before Christmas, they're on 11 points in second bottom. Luton have a four-point gap to Burnley. They're 18th, but just under the dotted line. Even though they beat Newcastle and Sheffield United over Christmas, they did lose their last game against Chelsea in that dramatic 3-2 result. Everton just above the relegation zone, 16 points. Obviously, with that 10-point deduction, they've lost the last three after going on an excellent run following that points deduction. But the one team I did want to talk about in particular, away from all of those bottom four sides, is the team that currently sit in 16th, and that's Brentford, Joel, who have lost their last five games in a row, including to Crystal Palace. They do have a game in hand over the likes of Everton, Burnley and Sheffield United, but Thomas Frank's side are on the slide. They are four points clear of the relegation zone, but how close to being sucked into trouble are they? Because they are in the worst form in the Premier League right now. Yeah, no, five consecutive defeats. It's just, it's strange because last the last couple of seasons, they've just seemed like the team, especially the team that has come up recently, who've been so consistent where you don't really look at them and think they're in danger. But when you look at, for example, the injuries, obviously Ivan Tony being out for such a long time. I mean, Tony coming back could be their saviour of the season. Because let's not forget last season, he got, what, 16 Premier League goals. You take that out of a, a team like Brentford, of course they're going to suffer. I know other other players slowly mould into that kind of vacancy and add goals to the team, but 16 goals is, like, that's title-winning form in terms of a goal scorer. So that's why I think 
it was strange the way in which the director came out and was almost flirting with the fact that if Tony is to go, then he's available for the right price. How about we need him for this season? <laughs> Otherwise, we're going down potentially. I mean, to add a player of that quality to your team, no other pl- no other team below them can say that. No other team below them have got the quality that, that, that Ivan Tony has up front. And that's why, for me, it, it almost is essential that they keep him, regardless of what kind of money they get in, because Premier League status is probably worth way more than 70, 80 million will ever be to them, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a good point, Joel, because he's under contract until 2025, so it's not like they need to cash in this January. He is still their asset, but I think that they are keen to make sure that they do get a decent value for Ivan Tony if they are going to sell him, which looks likely to be the case Marley, are you with Joel? Do you think the time is right for him to come back into the side after his ban has elapsed and really re-establish himself as one of the top Premier League centre forwards? Because there'll be people that doubt him because of how long he's been out for. Yeah, and no, I don't, I don't buy into that. The, the whole oh, he's been out for for six months or whatever it's been, eight months, nine months, um, and therefore he might lose, he might lose a bit of, you know talent like he's, he's gonna get it back he's not gonna forget how to play football in that time and it's not like he's had an injury is it it's exactly he's just been away from the game and actually when we look at previous examples Rio Ferdinand I know it's a different position but he came back almost a better player after having that ban mm. yeah he's I think he'll be he'll soon very soon be back to sort of full strength and, and Brentford need him right now you know him and and Bumo not being in the team has completely just ripped Brentford apart, really. Um, you know, I think Mbumo, I think he turned his ankle a few weeks ago um, in a game and then he's off to, to AFCON as well. So he's, you know, the the need for Ivan Tony is even, even greater now, um, now that they're going to be without him for another month at least. So, um, yeah, it's one of those where I think they are, I think Brentford will know that this summer is the time when he needs to be sold if they're going to get a decent fee for him with a year on his contract. Once you get to the summer, he's got a year on his contract. There's no way he's signing a new contract at Brentford, I don't think. Uh, not at 27, not at coming off the back of 16 Premier League goals. And if he can get himself seven or eight by the end of the season, you know, there's zero chance he's not going to be looking at Arsenal or Spurs or Chelsea or whoever. Um, so, yeah, in the summer it makes sense. But right now, I think if Brentford were 10th or whatever... They may be, if there was a solid bid, they'd, they'd maybe be interested. But with them losing five in a row and being 16th and not having a boomo and then selling Tony, you know, that's a bit uh, a bit too much of a stretch for me. And this is such a flippant question, Joel, but why aren't Brentford 10th? Because we've seen them up and around that position in the last couple of years in the Premier League. And one thing we've always said about the Bees is that they work hard. They've got players that work hard. They've got players that want to be there, that fit the profile. And maybe they don't have the most quality of all of the Premier League squads, but it's that work ethic and that system that Thomas Frank has been drilling into them over the last couple of years, which has got them into a position where they can feel comfortable in the Premier League. But is that quality or lack thereof starting to shine through now and maybe they're just beginning to run out of steam and the fact that they don't have as good of players as some of the other sides in the division is beginning to expose them a bit? Yeah, I think what's evident is that, especially their business in the transfer window, you just look at the signings that they made in the summer just gone by. They've got Nathan's, Nathan Collins from Wolves, Kevin Sharder from Freiburg, Mark Flecken, goalkeeper to replace David Raya from Who, Freiburg. Who, by the way, Flecken has been 
awful, I think. I think he's been absolutely terrible for Brentford. So this is what I mean. They've lost key personnel. Everyone forgets David Raya was a solid goalkeeper for them. To then lose him, Ivan Tony, that's two of their best players pretty much out of the team. And then they've replaced them with pretty lacklustre ones. I mean, Nathan Collins and Kevin Sharder, I've not heard much from them at all this season. And when you're making big money transfers like that, I mean, 20 million a piece for both of them is pretty big money for for Brentford, you would say. And it's almost just logical. You look at the teams around them. Burn- I know Burnley aren't playing very well at the moment, but they've spent more than them. You look at all the teams around them, and especially when you look at the league table, you've got Crystal Palace, who've got two key players who will get them out of the mud. You've got um, Everton, who've got key players in and around that can get them goals. You look at Brentford, and it's almost like they've just been left behind. And when you look at the way in which the Premier League is so competitive in terms of money, you just cannot stand still. And when you're losing two players that are key, who have been key to those really good league finishes in the last couple of years, and then you're not adequately replacing them, the writing's on the wall, isn't it? You're always going to get slowly sucked into that area where the competition isn't as big. So for me, Brentford, I think, have just fallen behind the times. And although you might be able to say that they've been quite naive, thinking that this team and the quality that it has could just consistently, you know, do a Crystal Palace, get 10th every season, get 12th. I think it's different for Brentford. Brentford don't have that star quality, especially with Tony not being there. So that's why you look at their goals. They've barely scored any goals this season because they've not got any at the moment. And Buemo's literally been there, their North Star. And like Marley just said, once he goes to AFCON, if Ivan Tony doesn't start, start electric or he goes... I mean, they're in trouble, massive trouble. When I said, why aren't they 10th and why are they 16th? I think when you take a 20-goal striker out of the team... It's logical, isn't it? <laughs> that probably has a big impact, doesn't it? I know I was being quite facetious there with that question, but still, I think it's worth a conversation worth having when it comes to Brentford, who are 16th at the moment and are in danger of being sucked into a relegation fight. Talking of relegation fights, let's drop down the league just very quickly. News reaching us today on Football Social Daily. Wayne Rooney has been sacked by Birmingham City after just two wins from 15 games. <laughs> has he actually? Yep, he's been sacked. That's incredible. What? Where are Birmingham in the league? They're, I don't know. I think 20th. I think they're six points off, six points off relegation. Actually, wow, because they were sixth when he took over. Uh, yep, the 20th. That's unforgivable from their owner, though. Imagine being a fan of Birmingham and you're thinking playoffs might be realistic. Five weeks later, six weeks later, you're looking the other way. Might be playing Pompey next season. <laughs> they might as well be like ships in the night. Might swap divisions, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Pompey finally got a win yesterday. New Year's Day. The only game over Christmas I haven't watched my own team and they've gone and won. The rest of them, they've <laughs> Don't drawn watch and your lost. Team. Ma- Niall, you just need to just ignore Pompey for the rest of the season now. Just look at the notifications on your phone and they might actually go up this season. <laughs> That's it for Football Social Daily today. Thanks, Marley. Thanks, Joel. And thanks to you for listening in and hope you have a great new year. Hope 2024 is exactly how you want it to be. And we appreciate you spending your time with us as well all throughout the last 12 months and into the future. And you can continue to do so if you like the podcast by hitting subscribe or follow on your favourite podcast platform. That way, whenever we release a new show, you'll be notified straight away. But that is it from the three of us. We'll see you tomorrow on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily is a voice work sport production for the Sports Social Podcast Network.